Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control released new guidelines today outlining what fully vaccinated people can do safely. The recommendations provide a small window into what life in the U.S. may look like in the months ahead. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. That was PBS NewsHour host Judy Woodruff just one week ago after the federal government released guidelines that gave Americans a glimpse into what we can look forward to once we're vaccinated against COVID-19. Are you one of them? What's the first thing you're looking forward to doing again? We want to hear from you this hour, 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now here in Connecticut, more residents will be eligible for the vaccine sooner than expected. After Governor Lamont's announcement Monday, he changed up the distribution plan again, now saying any resident over 16 years old will be eligible to sign up for the vaccine starting in early April. Today, where we live, we wanted to talk more about what we can do when we are fully vaccinated. Coming up, we'll hear from infectious disease expert Dr. Carlos Del Rio from Mount Emory University School of Medicine to answer your questions. Again, the number to call, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. First, joining me on the show on Zoom are two Connecticut residents. Helena Rogers lives in New Haven. Helena, welcome to Where We Live. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Also with us is Carolyn Jackson, who is Helena's daughter, and she lives in Hamden. Hi, Carolyn. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. So we know this month marks uh, one year uh, since the pandemic shut down here in Connecticut. It changed all of our lives. I wanted to hear briefly, when you reflect back on this last year, uh, talk a little bit about what changed for you, Helena. And not too much. I was very cautious of uh, where I was, my surroundings. And um, when they said, you know, about social distancing and whatnot, it was very easy for me. But some people, unfortunately, within um, the area, maybe grocery store or bank or whatever, people do not adhere to it. They're really not paying attention, I don't think, mm. you know, and which is unfortunate. So consequently, a lot of people suffered for it. So when you say people weren't paying okay attention, Helena, when you said people weren't, didn't seem to be paying attention, did you see people maybe not taking the mask uh, rules seriously or keeping distance from others? Keeping distance mostly. They might have had a face mask covering of some sort. But uh, I happened to be in the area of downtown New Haven uh, in a tax office and a gentleman they had decals on the sidewalk, but the gentleman keep going, kept going forward. And I kept turning around and looking at him, and he paid no attention. And finally, I put my hand up, and he got the message. But at the time, he was busy on his cell phone, which a lot of people are nowadays. Mm. Um, but mostly, people are paying attention, but and not Carolyn, enough of them. <laughs> Carolyn, what about you? When you reflect back, uh, how did your life change? Oh, a lot of things changed. I um, worked for a, a big company downtown New Haven, 
And we were all told one Friday morning to pack up our things and go home. And we thought it was going to be for a two-week period, but it's been a year now. It's been a year of me working from home, being away from my coworkers, uh, separated from my family to some degree, and separated from my church family. It's It's been a, a learning experience to be by yourself and to sit back and not being able to touch people, not being able to go visit people and being aware of your surroundings and, and making sure that you don't get too close to people wearing your face mask and the isolation can be hard sometimes. So how did you stay in touch with your mom, Carolyn? Were you still able uh, to visit and, and how did you do that? I'm cautious about visiting her because she has a, a, a job that um, has her around a lot of different people. And I was worried about her catching it, her, worried about her giving it to me because I'm compromised in some ways. So I try to stay away from as many people as possible. My sister, she works in healthcare, so worried about her catching it. So I didn't want to be around too many people where I could have been putting myself in harm's way. So I was by myself a lot. Helena, uh, Carolyn mentioned that she's very involved in the church community, you as well. And so how did you stay connected uh, with members in your church? Well, what we did um, before it got too cold, we did what we, uh, church in the parking lot, people stayed in their cars and it was very, very heartwarming. And um, I and another individual walked around taking attendance of who's there, so just in case we had to do any kind of contact tracing. And um, until the weather got too cold to bear it outside, we really enjoyed that and hoping to get back to doing that. Now, like Carolyn stated, I work in a, a, in a job, it's a, a, a greeter at a funeral home. So, you know, we've had a lot of uh, people passing on, not just with COVID situations, but people passing on. And um, the gentleman who uh, owns the funeral home, he just minded us. He said, just make sure that you think of everybody that's walking in this building is a COVID carrier. So you are very cautious. Temperature checks, sanitation stations, and what have you, social distancing. But I was very, very cautious. And I've had both my shots, but that still doesn't give me credence to get close to anybody, which is very hard. And like Carolyn said, when she visits me, she visits me from the front door and I'm six or seven feet away from her. But this is the way it's going to be for a while until you feel comfortable. Helena, you mentioned that you're fully vaccinated now. You were in the first age group of the general population that was eligible to get the vaccine. So talk about the the sign-up process and how did you go about getting the shots? For me, it was uh, sort of easy. I, I didn't think much about it at first. And my daughter that works in healthcare, she has a friend who made a phone call to a local agency. And it was in the, on a Friday morning and she called for her mom and she got an appointment that very afternoon. So I took the number and I called. It was closing time for the, uh, the healthcare facility. It was like uh, five minutes to four. And uh, I made the call and they gave me an appointment for that following Monday and I jumped on it. it and, and, I, and I, it was very easy for me, I thought, you know, and some people told me, 
um, when they made calls, I gave them the same number. One individual in, in my church who lives not too far from me had to go to New York, no Greenwich, I'm sorry. He had to go to Greenwich, which I thought was kind of unfair. You know, he had health issues, but he's gotten his second shot, but still in Greenwich. Why couldn't he get a shot closer to home? They asked you for your address, your zip code. Why can't they get him closer? And I know it's not easy in a lot of cases. Some people do take appointments and don't show up, which makes it bad for somebody that really wants one and, and is willing to go get one. That's a good question. It'll be interesting to see how with more people eligible in the coming weeks, exactly how long people will have to wait, Helena. But when you got that first shot, how did you feel? Fine. I was excited. <laughs> I felt fine. I really and Car- did. And Carolyn, the second you- one, I, I, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. The second one, I got, I was on a, on a Monday and uh, I felt great. You have a little tightness in your arm, but that's natural. You get that with a flu shot. But um, I was in the kitchen washing dishes and all of a sudden I got a, a chill. But it wasn't a chill like you would put a sweater on to make you feel a little warmer. And um, I called my daughter and I says, I'm gonna lay down for a bit. Call me in a couple of hours to make sure I'm okay. And it passed just as quickly as it came. And I haven't had any issues since. You're hearing Helena Rogers here on Where We Live. Uh, she's one of the Connecticut residents who's fully vaccinated. Also with us is Carolyn Jackson from Hamden. Uh, she's uh, Helena's daughter. And, and Carolyn, how did you feel when your mom was fully vaccinated? Do you feel more comfortable um, where she's still going to her job and doing and being around people? Do you feel better about uh, that for her? I do feel better that she is vaccinated. I'm glad that she jumped right on it and didn't hesitate. So I'm not as worried as I was before of her being around people, but I still have a concern because there are people out there who don't want to have the vaccine. And in the back of my mind can still pass something on to people, even though they are fully vaccinated. So I still think precaution is needed and people need to be mindful of who they're around, what they're doing. And I think everybody should be vaccinated. Now, Carolyn, tell us about uh, your vaccine journey. Have you been able to get a dose? And what did you feel when you heard from the CDC about guidelines for people um, if they want to to gather? Well, when the the first um, set of numbers, I wasn't able to get in it. But when when the governor opened it up to, what, 55 and over um a co-worker of mine had called me and said um we can get our vaccine now you know call you know go on the website and, and make your appointment and her and i tried it one night and i had a hard time doing it then my mother had given me a number to call and i called the number and as soon as i called that morning the lady picked up i got an appointment and i'm not one to go flying down and get a shot for anything but i was determined to be vaccinated against this because alternative is not something I want to um, encounter of being sick with this vac- vac- um, vaccine, um, vaccination or the, this, this virus. So I went down and got the shot and I had no problems getting it. The next day I was a little sore on the arm, no other problems. 
I go in two more weeks to get my second vaccine. I'm a little nervous about that one because I hear a lot of people having issues with the second one. But I will be down there going to get it. When you talk with others in your community who may be hesitant to get this vaccine, Carolyn, uh, what do you say? Well, there's not much you can say when you when all the information is out there on the um, the CDC. The state gives you updates constantly. A lot of it to me is people are being um, they're not educating themselves. They're hearing things um, that are not true. And they're and they're running with it, and they they're, they're feel though the the vaccine is going to harm you. The vaccine is not good for you. It's it, you know they're trying to get your DNA, which I was like, what? It, it, it's it's unbelievable the things that you hear. My doctor explained vaccine vac- vaccine to me. She sat me down in December and asked me was I going to get it, and explained exactly what it is, what it's going to do, and said that she suggested that I get it. And that's where it stood for me. So just a couple more weeks before you get that second dose. Again, your mom, Helena, is fully vaccinated. You mentioned having a sister who's a healthcare worker. Is she also vaccinated? She's fully vaccinated. Yes, she She was fully vaccinated first. Yes. And so what will that mean for all of you? Uh, that coming up, we have Easter and, and other gatherings. Uh, are you going to feel comfortable being indoors uh, to see your mom and your sister <laughs> with no mask? Well, no, I will still be wearing a mask. I, I That's just me. I'm going to still wear my mask. We can have our indoor dinner and we can, we can still be, um, there's only going to be a couple of us in the house and we can still be distancing, but we will still, this, I will still be wearing a mask at certain points. I will not be crowding people. I will still have my precautions probably for a long while. Helena, what about you? How will you feel to see your two daughters at Easter? The same. I would feel the same way. We have a, I have a granddaughter who is in her 30s, and um, she hasn't gotten vaccinated yet, but she's very cautious, and she works in a local bank. So you know she's around people uh, constantly, but she's not in that age bracket that they're offering it to her. And um, hopefully when they when she is in that bracket, she would jump on it. And what about wearing a mask indoors? Sounds like Carolyn still wants to be be extra, extra careful. Oh, we all will be wearing them. (laughs) Be honest with you. We all will be wearing them. Even when you come to my home, you get your temperature checked at the door. (laughs) (laughs) Can't hurt. I'm not playing with this. Yep. We heard from a listener on Twitter uh, who wrote, I won't be doing anything differently once I'm vaccinated because I still worry about variants and other people. I won't be doing a lot differently until this is all behind us. So, Carolyn, you echo that sentiment. Exactly. I think that we should not be opening up the state to full capacity of dining. We should not be, you know, crowding in anywhere. These young kids should not be flocking to beaches. We need to still take precautions. This is not over with. It can come back and hit us again. It it really can. So we need to take it slower than what we are. That's only my opinion. Mm. And Helena, how do you feel about that that, that, uh, tweet that I read? Basically, that person that tweeted that out, I think I'm 100% in agreement, 
I go to the garbage can, um, which is right outside my door, and I'll have a mask on because a neighbor might walk up, walking their dog. They might want to stop and chat. At least I'm prepared for it. But I'm okay with it. Well, Helena Rogers and Carolyn Jackson, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to hear from residents who are able to either be fully vaccinated or soon will be. And the fact that all these precautions that we've been taking over the last year, they they won't simply go away once we get those shots. I appreciate your time and I hope you both have a nice Easter. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. God bless. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now again, on Monday, Governor Lamont announced any resident 16 years and older will be eligible for the vaccine, an appointment starting April 5th. How will this timeline affect who you will gather with over the next few weeks and months? After the break, we'll talk more with an infectious disease expert, Dr. Carlos Del Rio. He's professor of medicine at Emory University School of Medicine and also professor of global health and epidemiology at the School of Public Health there. What questions do you have about the activities you can return to once vaccinated? We'll take your questions, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. How anxious are you about doing normal stuff again, like visiting family and friends, even after getting the COVID-19 vaccine? The CDC issued guidelines for Americans who've been fully vaccinated. Here's CDC Director Rochelle Walensky last Monday. If you and a friend or you and a family member are both vaccinated, you can have dinner together without distancing. You can visit your grandparents if you have been vaccinated and they have been too. But you may still be feeling uncertain about how to interact with people. Do you still wear a mask or do you still social distance in public? We wanted to help answer your questions. You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. My guest now on Zoom is Dr. Carlos Del Rio, again, professor of medicine at Emory University School of Medicine, professor of global health and epidemiology at Emory's Rollins School of Public Health. Uh, Dr. Carlos Del Rio, welcome to the show. Happy to be with you, Lucy. Uh, We opened up the show talking to two Connecticut residents. It was interesting to hear them uh, talking about, you know, gathering for Easter, even though they'll they'll be fully vaccinated, still wanting to have a mask on. I'm wondering if you can talk about what you heard and then also what you thought about the CDC guidelines released last week. Well, first of all, again, let's remember how amazing this pandemic has been, how rapidly things change for all of us. It's like the world we used to live in stopped and and went into this freeze mode. And we thought it was gonna be for you know a couple of weeks and now we're a year into this pandemic. But the good news is the vaccines are rolling out. The US has vaccinated, has given over a hundred million shots and uh, about 37 million Americans have received the full doses of, of you know, of the two vaccines and those that require two doses or one dose of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. So we're making progress. We still don't have a lot of the population vaccinated, but we're making some progress. 
So you have to take that into consideration in deciding what to do. I think based on the data that we have right now, there are a couple of things that are totally fine. First of all, you know, vaccinated individuals, fully vaccinated individuals don't need to quarantine after they've been exposed. And that's huge, you know, because in the past you would be, you would have to call your work and say, hey, my significant other or somebody in my family just tested positive. I need to quarantine for the next two weeks. That was very disruptive. If you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to do that. That's huge. Number two, CDC director, as you heard, said, if you are fully vaccinated, you can gather together in in a in small groups indoors without a mask. So I'll give you an example. My wife and I are both uh, in healthcare. We're both fully vaccinated. And uh, last a couple of weekends ago, we had dinner with another friend of ours who's also a physician and his, his, his wife. They're both fully vaccinated. And it's the first time it was four of us in a in a room uh, having dinner. Having said that, uh, we still sat at different ends of the table. We were still, you know, a little the careful side, but we we did it without mask and we felt comfortable doing it that way. So I think you can take what I would call baby steps. Uh, I think you can, you know, I've been traveling. I've been uh, going up to see my daughter in New York who recently had a baby and did it last weekend. And again, I wear a mask. I'm careful. I test myself before I go like the, you know, tri-state area requires, but I, I think that you can start taking baby steps that will allow you to slowly return to normal. Will I attend a hundred person wedding right now? Absolutely not. Would I go into a indoor restaurant? I, I'm not ready for that yet. Uh, would I uh, go into a bar? No. Will I continue wearing my mask in public? Absolutely. And I, you know, I, so I think you need to, is not, a, you know, turning, changing this is not going to be like a light switch that you just turn off and go back to where the way you used to be. I, I think a bit more like, turning off a, a faucet and you slowly turn it to stop the flow of water, but it doesn't happen immediately. Mm. You mentioned uh, for you personally, you're not ready to eat indoors at a restaurant, even though you're fully vaccinated. Why is that, Carlos? Well, again, because, you know, a lot of restaurants are, are you know, keeping your, your indoor, I don't know about the circulation of air. I don't know about the amount of people there. I've seen a lot of restaurants. Uh, in, you know, I travel, I'm, I'm around Atlanta. I went to uh, some places in what we call Midtown and restaurants were to capacity. And I'm not ready to do that. However, I will eat outside at a restaurant and that will be fine. It's good to hear you talk about baby steps when we, as you mentioned, our life was pretty much frozen for the last year uh, as we uh, saw how the pandemic uh, uh, impacted all of us. When we hear the CDC guidelines allowing people or saying people can gather when they're fully vaccinated, what does that mean in terms of uh, the time period after you get either your two shots or your one shot, Carlos? Well, you know, they're talking about having gone two weeks after your second shot in the Moderna, the Pfizer vaccine, or two weeks after you finish your, you got your first shot with the Johnson and Johnson, the, the Johnson vaccine. So we're talking about two weeks after is not immediate. Take some time for uh, the, the immune system to produce appropriate protection. And, you know, I would, I would caution that by saying, if you happen to be somebody who's immunocompromised and you got vaccinated, uh, we don't know if you're going to be fully protected. So I would even be a little more cautious if you happen to be, uh, you know, a transplant recipient, for example. Mm. or somebody who's getting chemotherapy. 
when we think about uh, grandparents who now are fully vaccinated, so many of them haven't been able to see their grandchildren, but they might be uh, seeing uh, their adult children who maybe not have yet to receive the vaccine. Of course, children don't have the vaccine as well. And so talk about that, about gathering with non-vaccinated relative. What's the safest way to do that? Well, so I, there's a couple ways to do it. Number one is I would like to know what those uh, unvaccinated relatives have done. As I said to you, I went to visit my daughter who lives in, in New York and uh, with her husband and they have a new baby. So they haven't been vaccinated. But what we all do, but I know they've been in, you know inside. They have been isolating themselves. They haven't been quarantining themselves. So they haven't had been in contact with other people. My wife and I still got tested, you know, three days before we travel up there. Uh, they get tested themselves frequently. Uh, and I think if we're all tested and we're all negative, I think it's okay to be with them. When we think about uh, family gatherings where it's more than one unvaccinated household, is it a good idea to have uh, multiple unvaccinated house- households together, Carlos? Well, you know, again, what CDC said is small gatherings. And, you know, they didn't define what small means. To me, I'm going to use the... Uh, I think it was uh, it was uh, Steve Jobs that said that if you need to have a meeting in you know a business meeting which you need more than one pizza to, to fill to fit to to feed everybody it's too too big of a meeting and I think that if you need more than one pizza to feed the people in the room it's probably too many so I would say limit yourself in the number of people ideally maybe you know four people no more than six I would say. You're hearing Dr. Carlos Del Rio. Again, he's professor of medicine at Emory University School of Medicine, also professor of global health and epidemiology at Emory's School of Public Health. If you have questions about what it means to be fully vaccinated or uh, how we will all return to some sort of normal in the next few uh, months, you can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. It's certainly good news uh, that there are at least three different uh, vaccines available to the public. We're hearing uh, from our governor, uh, Carlos, that more doses are expected over the next few weeks. More people will be eligible in another uh, few weeks. But tell us again what we know specifically about uh, the vaccine at this point uh, in terms of you'd mentioned if someone is high risk, to be careful, even if you're fully vaccinated. Well, Lucy, let me start first by looking also at data, which is something very important. And, you know, when I look at where we are and I think about, for example, where things are in, let's say, in Connecticut, right? And we still have a lot of community transmission. The latest data in Connecticut suggests about 642 cases per million population. That's still what we call uncontrolled spread of transmission. So in addition to vaccines, the other thing that is important is how much disease is in your community. And the more transmission there is, the worse it is, the more the risk increases. So as the numbers come down, it's also very important that people realize that as the number comes down, you'll be able to do more and more things. So part of what we need to do is not just vaccines, but as we're continuing, as your host, as your other guests said, continue masking, continue being careful. We're still trying to limit transmission as much as possible. And my goal is that we get those numbers really down. We got to get down ideally below you know 50 per million population if you're able to get down to a control spread control community spread there'll be so many more things you can do so how much virus is in your community is an important marker of how much you can do it's almost like looking at the weather whether you need to take an umbrella or not now being <laughs> vaccinated 
there's a protection that you get to yourself, right? You're protected from getting severe disease. You're protected from dying. You're protected from having uh, hospitalization if you get infected uh, to a significant degree. But you're also increasing the data suggesting that you're also protected from infection. And even if you get infected, the amount of virus that you start producing is lower. So you probably are less likely to transmit to other people. So a vaccine, in addition to protect you, protects others. And eventually, when we get enough people vaccinated, you get to what we, we you maybe the term you've heard or your uh, listeners have heard called herd immunity or community immunity. Once you get a significant portion of the population immune, then the virus has nowhere to go, has no potential susceptible host, and transmission really dies down. So we need to do a really good effort over the next several months to really bring down community transmission down. And as President Biden said, if we do that, maybe, you know, maybe 4th of July picnics will be a very different place. Mm-hmm. Again, if you have a question, it's 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I'm glad you brought up herd immunity because, again, depending on uh, what part of the country you live, there may be more hesitancy about getting the vaccine. And so I'm wondering if you can talk more about where we need to be to get to reach herd immunity, are you worried about the pockets of our country uh, that are not uh, embracing this COVID vaccine? Oh, I'm definitely concerned about that because, you know, once you get, I think there's going to be about 50% of the population that is going to get immunized and, and get vaccinated. And I just heard you say that the Connecticut governor said starting April, anybody over the age of 16 can get immunized. And why 16? Because that's where the that's the lowest age in which the vaccines are approved, and it's not every vaccine. The Pfizer vaccine is approved down to age uh, 18, but not the Moderna vaccine. That's to age uh, 18. So six, 16 would be by Pfizer. Um, but after that 50%, I think you have a percentage of the population that maybe it's about 20% that is going to be a little more reluctant. It's going to be, as I call, they're not hesitant, but they're slow to yes. It's going to take them a little more time to get convinced. And then there's about you know 10 to 15% of the population that simply is going to say no. They don't want to get immunized. And, and that's where the challenge is going to be, because the reality is with the transmission of this virus, what we know about the transmission of this virus, we're going to have to get about 70 to 80 percent of the population immunized. So it's going to be easy to get to about 50 percent. It's going to be harder to get the other 30. I mean, the last mile is going to be hard. Again, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Andrea asks, how do we handle spending time with family and friends when a family has 16 and under unvaccinated children, Carlos? That's a really good question. Uh, First of all, children are, you know, less likely probably to transmit. So I think that's something to to be aware of. So we've seen in, in studies in schools and in households that even children when infected are less likely to transmit, probably because they produce less viruses. Uh, this is very different, for example, for, uh, from influenza, where influenza, the kids are more likely to transmit. Uh, but having said that, if you have a household in which you have children under 16, I think you know continued testing may be a good strategy, having testing available, because you should be, you know, many schools are doing uh, weekly testing of students as a way to identify those that are infected and preventing outbreaks. And I think testing is going to continue to be a critical part of what we do. And there's a lot of work of uh, uh, researchers at Yale and at many other places have worked on, on rapid tests, on home-based tests. And I think, you know, in the very close near future, 
we will be able to go to your local grocery and buy a, a COVID test, not very different to the way you do a, a pregnancy test. And maybe, you know, before the family comes over, you test everybody. That would be nice, right? <laughs> to have it uh, at home and or at the drugstore. Uh, you mentioned that you've been comfortable uh, traveling. Uh, I'm wondering when we hear the CDC guidelines released last week, uh, Dr. Liana Wen, who's an emergency physician, a public health professor at George Washington University, she's publicly said she thought these CDC guidelines are too conservative, uh, pointing to guidance from the CDC saying not to travel even for vaccinated adults. Do you, and she said that's overcautious. Do you agree with that? I agree 100%. And in fact, in a in a viewpoint that I published in, in JAMA uh, about 10 days ago, I pretty much said that, that we need to tell people how to travel. In other words, telling people not to travel is not going to is not going to work because people are traveling. In fact, we know last weekend was the weekend that we had with TSA saw more people go through security than since the beginning of the pandemic. So I think with spring break coming, et cetera. So rather than telling people not to travel, which they're not going to listen to, we need to tell people how to travel. And I go back to you know my roots. I, I, I'm a HIV investigator to begin with, and that's how I started. And we learned a long time ago that that abstinence-only approach doesn't work. Telling people not to have sex is not going to work, right? We need to tell people how to have what we you know at some point in time call safer, safer sex or safe sex. So it, it's it's all about trying to, to risk reduce, risk mitigation. And I think it's really important that we start telling people exactly that. How do you travel? And I would say, you know, I will tell you, I have been traveling throughout the pandemic, not a lot, but I have been traveling. How do I do it? Well, you know, I, I test, I mask. I used to wear a, a, a 95 and I used to work a, a face shield. I will sanitize very carefully. I would not take my mask out at the, um, on the plane to drink or eat anything. I think some airlines are doing a good job, like keeping the middle seat uh, open, and, and they have done a very, very good job improving their HIPAA filtration and air exchanges. But nowadays, when I'm vaccinated, I still wear a mask, but I don't wear anymore. I don't feel like I need an N95. I just wear a well-fitted mask, a multi-layer well-fitted mask. I wear, uh, do I wear go- uh, goggles or, or facial anymore? No, I don't. I, I, you know, I just have my glasses on. So I feel a lot more at ease, a lot more comfortable. Do I still continue to get tested before and after I travel? Absolutely. So I think there's ways to tell people what to do and what not to do and how to travel safely because it's, you know, it's very hard to tell somebody, well, now you can go see your grandparents, but if they live in another city, you can't see them. That's really hard. Let's take some calls again. My guest, Dr. Carlos Del Rio, Professor of Medicine and Global Health and Epidemiology at Emory University. The number to call, 888-720-9677. Lorraine's calling in from Wallingford. Lorraine, go ahead. Hi, Lucy, and hi, doctor. Thanks for taking my call. Excuse me, that's not a very good way to start the conversation. (laughs) But my husband is an avid tennis player, and um, he's been a little cooped up lately. And he is uh, really wanting to play doubles tennis indoors. And I am not comfortable with this idea. He has been playing outdoors, and I feel okay with that. But now he wants to play indoors, and he has been assured that everyone wears their mask. But um, I am not comfortable with that. And we are vaccinated, but we don't know if everyone he will be playing with has been vaccinated. So I would appreciate any comments. Thank you. Carlos? You know, that's a great question. Sports is something that I have been spending a lot of time uh, providing advice to. I have worked with the 
NCAA. I continued to work with the NCAA. I, I have been, I worked with the US uh, TA with the for the US Open. I have worked also with with the you know the PGA. So I'm very very interested in the you know the major league soccer. I'm very interested on on sports and because I think sports are really important to our society and really important for health that we stay playing sports. I think some sports like tennis is actually a pretty safe sport, especially when you pay, play, it's outdoors. You know, when you're playing singles, you're separated, so you're physically distant. So, you know, as long as you don't go drinking uh, at the end of your match, you're probably, it's a pretty safe sport to play. Now, when you get to doubles, I still think that you're running around and, you know, you, you need to make sure you don't hug your partner as you're playing doubles. Now, you said playing doubles indoors. Get a little more uncomfortable there. But again, I, I suspect the indoor court is really big and really, um, uh, there may be a lot of air circulation there, but indoors, I worry a little more than being outdoors. And uh, and if you don't know if everybody else is vaccinated, I would say ask them, you know, because vaccines are becoming available. And if you want to play tennis, you know, make sure that four people you're playing with are fully vaccinated. And I think you're fine. And if you enjoy tennis and it's something that brings joy to you and gives you physical exercise, figure out how to do it. But I think that's one of the things that we should all work about is this is not going back necessarily to the way things were. But how do we now do things the way things are? And how do you adapt this new way? And I think I would have no problem asking my my tennis partners, you know, are you all vaccinated? And if you're not, then I don't think I'm playing doubles with them. I agree with your with your with your caller. Mm. Now, earlier we talked about herd immunity and you said that, you know, you believe that we will we'll get to at least 50 percent of people that are vaccinated and then trying to convince others uh, that the vaccine is safe and the value for them and the community. So what will it take to incentivize, incentivize uh, these people who are unsure or just don't think they need the vaccine, Carlos? Well, I think I think we need to be careful about it. this is a really a spectrum, right? There's some people out there frequently when I hear about minority communities being hesitant. I think, you know, people, sometimes there's a group of people that simply have questions. They want answers. They have distrust of the medical system. They're, they want questions answered. And and I think what we need to do is do a lot of listening and, and hear them and hear their concerns and start explaining to them why they need to get vaccinated. Number two, is I think you, you start seeing the benefits of the vaccine uh, in, in, in your work environment than in other places. I mean, I, you know, at some point in time, I suspect there'll be some businesses, there'll be some uh, some organizations. Uh, I can see, you know, in the future, you know, airlines. I can see in the future some countries saying, if you're not immunized, you, you're not welcome here. So I think at some point in time, there's going to be benefits of being immunized in what you will be allowed and not allowed to do. But at this point in time, what I tell people over and over is, this is about you and this is about your community. I heard your first two uh, callers talk about how they miss being with their community. And they talk about their church community, their family. If we all get vaccinated, we're all gonna be back in our communities. And I think if you care about not only protecting yourself, but protecting your community, and that's why I like the term community immunity rather than herd immunity. If you want to protect your community, let's all get vaccinated because then we'd be more likely to come back to our community. You're hearing Dr. Carlos Del Rio, again, Professor of Medicine and Global Health and Epidemiology at Emory University. He's also Vice President of the Infectious Diseases Society of America. We'll continue to take your questions after the break, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guest on Zoom today, Dr. Carlos Del Rio, Professor of Medicine and Professor of Global Health and Epidemiology at Emory University, as we talk about what it means to be fully vaccinated and how we're all looking forward uh, to doing activities that we've had to postpone over this uh, last year of the pandemic. You can join us if you have a question. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Carlos, we got a question on Twitter. Are there side effects when it comes to pregnant women or if a woman becomes pregnant with the vaccine? Uh, the person writes, I want to get the vaccine, but my fiance and I are trying to start a family. And I keep thinking of what happened to the thalidomide babies. And I worry about if there was enough testing. What can you tell her? Well, that's a really good question. First of all, congratulations in, in you know, having a baby. I think it's, it's really wonderful. I think that it's very important to take into consideration two things. Pregnant women have a high risk of severe complications if they develop COVID during pregnancy, particularly in the third trimester. And uh, number two, during the clinical trial, and I was one of the investigators in the Moderna clinical trial, we enrolled women who did not know they were pregnant, but they either became pregnant later in the trial and or and we have followed them and none of them has had any complications to them other to their babies. Number two, now that, that we vaccinated millions of people in the United States, CDC has data now in over 10,000 women who have gotten pregnant who are or who are pregnant during vaccination. And again, there's no problems with them. So I can I can tell you with a lot of confidence to rest assured there is no risk of something like the little mite happening to your uh, to your baby. You're okay getting vaccinated. You may, if you want to get vaccinated, you know, now before you get pregnant, wait a month and then you get pregnant, that's fine. But again, I would recommend, I have a niece who's pregnant and I have recommended that she gets vaccinated. Can we talk about the variants that we're all hearing about? Again, the, these uh, virus mutations and how uh, these vaccines that are now available to the public, uh, how they stack up against, uh, what do we know? Well, we know a couple of things. We know that those uh, the variants are going to happen. That's the first thing I tell people when this virus is particularly viruses like COVID, which is what we call an RNA virus. RNA viruses, when they multiply, when they're uh, reproducing, they tend to produce mistakes and they tend to produce mutations and those mutations lead to variants. Some of those variants uh, give the virus some advantages. The variant that I'm more concerned about is the one called B117. That's also called the UK variant because it's a lot more transmissible than regular COVID. It's about 40 to 60% more transmissible. And because of that, it simply is gonna crowd out other types of COVID and CDC predicts by the end of this month, it will be the most common variant uh, in the United States. Uh, that The good news is that variant is still susceptible to the vaccine, so you don't need to worry about that. However, there are other variants, for example, the one emerging in, in South Africa that we still have not seen much in this country, fortunately. And there's a variant also in New York, which is not as, as sensitive to the vaccine. But what I tell people is they still, uh, you're not protected from infection, but you're still protected from severe disease. And if you're worried about variants, what we need to do, I told you that variants occur when people, when the virus is reproducing, when the virus is transmitting. You're worried about variants, get vaccinated and continue wearing your mask, socially distancing, avoiding crowded places, washing your hands. Because if you if we can cut down virus transmission, the virus not reproducing and not transmitting does not produce variants. So our best weapon against, against variants, it's actually 
masking, socially distancing, and stopping virus transmission. When we think about, um, again, with the flu shot, having to get that every year, we know that uh, COVID is not going anywhere. So in terms of booster shots, uh, when we think about um, trying to strengthen or keep the um, the effects of these vaccines going, uh, what's been discussed related to that? Well, I have to say uh, maybe because we don't know. This virus hasn't been around for a long time. One thing I can tell you, though, uh, yesterday was a, a special day, and I say it's a special day because uh, many people may not know this, but yesterday is exactly a year ago that the first humans uh, received in clinical trials, in phase one clinical trials, uh, uh, vaccine for COVID that now we're using and millions of people have received. So those people that got vaccinated in the phase one clinical trial in the Moderna study, we have studied them and, and looked at their immune response a year after they've been vaccinated and they're still capable of mounting an immune response. Now, granted, they were very healthy individuals. They were, you know, people that are likely gonna have a good good immune response. So how long the vaccine is gonna last? I think it's gonna last at least a year. Will we need a booster shot after that? I would say maybe it's likely, but I think it's gonna be more likely that maybe we're not gonna need a booster shot here in the US. But as long as, remember, COVID is still a global pandemic of the, close to you know a little bit over 300 million vaccinations globally the US has given more than 100 million so most of the world has done very little in vaccination and there's major pandemics still happening globally and until we control the epidemic globally we have a concern locally so what i suspect is going to happen is you may need to get a booster before you travel to europe or before you travel to mexico or before you travel to brazil and that's going to be no different than what happens right now with the yellow fever vaccine. It may become an, a vaccine that you need to take an additional shot before you take a, a trip to a specific country. We just have a couple of minutes left. Uh, I understand that the trials are still ongoing for mm -hmm. the COVID vaccine in children. And so what is the timeline where um, this vaccine may be available for kids, Carlos? Well, you know, uh, there are several trials in children. Uh, uh, the the uh, the trial in adolescents uh, down to age twelve has just uh, has just uh, 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 what call it the trial in adolescents has just uh, has just started I mean has just been completed and we're waiting for the date on that and actually uh, today the the phase two three study in children younger than twelve uh, just began. So I suspect that children, it goes all the way, that, that study, which is called Kid Kobe, uh, it goes down to, it's, it's trying to vaccinate kids ages six months to 11 years. And we will probably have the results of that study, I would say by late in the, in the summer, early fall. So I suspect that, you know, if all goes well, maybe in December, we'll be able to vaccinate kids. And last question, Carlos, uh, we hear that um, the idea of immunity passports, uh, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. You know, that's a that's a really good question. And it's a very complicated question. Hard to talk in a few seconds. <laughs> I would say that there's a lot of ethical concerns about immunity passports in, in a disease that has had enormous disparities and inequities and in which we're seeing in vaccine rollout enormous disparities and inequities. I worry that a so-called vaccine passport is just going to exacerbate those inequities. So let's let's get equity, and then once we get equity, we can talk about uh, you know giving privileges to those that are immunized and, and giving so-called passports. But until then, I'm I'm very hesitant that what's going to happen is that 
if we don't fix the equity problem, we will continue to have, you know, the haves and haves nots. And, and that's not something that I want to see perpetuate in our country. Well, it's been a pleasure to hear from you, Dr. Carlos Del Rio, again, professor of medicine at Emory University, also professor of global health and epidemiology at the Rollins School of Public Health at Emory. We appreciate your time. Thank you. We're delighted to be with you. Uh, today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Uh, our technical producer is Kat Pastor. You can learn more about where we live. Just download the show on your favorite podcast app. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Back tomorrow. <laughs>